1974, New York City's underground was bubbling with a new scene. Punk rock echoed out of lower Manhattan from clubs like CBGB's. Here you could experience the rush of unapologetic rock that took no prisoners. Here, Patti Smith was a fixture. Smith and her bandmates Lenny Kay, Richard Soule, Ivan Krall, and J.D. Doherty held a two-month stint performing at CBGB's. After only a year of playing together, the Patti Smith group were signed by the industry legend Clive Davis. They set out to record their first album, Horses, at New York's Electric Lady Studios. In the studio, the group refused to let go of the wild, gritty elements that made... Good evening. Welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Noir November. There is a noir quality to Horses. Because there's mystery, there's intrigue to Patti Smith. First, let's start with that album cover of Horses. Done by the late... Robert Maplethorpe. Robert Maplethorpe, controversial, colorful. Anyone that you talk to say that. Patti Smith knew Robert Maplethorpe so well. They dated, they lived together. He was, she was his muse. They set out on this odyssey together. And when Patti Smith came to prominence and started to perform with Lenny Kay and then the rest of the Patti Smith band, J.D. Doherty, Ivan Krall, uh, Richard Soule. It was magnificent. And on this day, yep, November 10th, 1975, Patti Smith released Horses. Produced by John Cale of the Velvet Underground. So John Cale, we talked about the Velvet Underground documentary last month. John Cale continued. Lou Reed went on his odyssey of his solo career. Maureen Tucker played with other bands. I believe she taught music. Sterling Morrison um, started to do, uh, I think he was working for the boating industry. But Lou Reed and John Cale continued in the music industry. You know, Lou Reed went on to work with David Bowie, who produced uh, Transformer. And John Cale produced Patti Smith's Horses. I I love what John Cale said about Patti Smith. He said, visceral. It was all about language with a razor sharp mouth. Yeah. He said she was like a freeform rapper when she would get on that mic. Patti Smith's moments, music. I've seen Patti Smith twice in concert. That is an experience. For those who don't like Patti Smith, that's fine. She conjures different imagery and different sounds. It was the sound Gloria that really put her into the forefront. It was written by Van Morrison, originally recorded by Van Morrison's band, Them. But what Patti Smith did is she pumped it up. She pumped it up. She punked it up. Now, Patti Smith doesn't like being like her good friend, William Burroughs, who did not like being associated with, he did not like being called a beat. Patti Smith really didn't like being called a punk rocker. Even though they played at CBGB's, 
She helped close CBGBs in 2006 and then a year later was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But it was on today, November 10th, 1975, 46 years ago, released by Arista Records, you know, Clive Davis. This this is a truly avant-garde experience. Recorded at Electric Lady Studios, the studio that Jimi Hendrix built himself. Patti Smith has continued to perform there. During COVID, her and the band have done these virtual concerts live from Electric Lady. So it's coming home. It's coming home for her. Since 1975, this album has brought her so much. A a following, a sound. From the first song, Gloria, where she opens with those iconic words, Jesus died for somebody's sins, but not mine. Now, people took that the wrong way. Patti Smith explained and said, look, I was raised Jehovah's Witness. I was raised in church, Christian, all these other things. She says, I believe in Jesus. And she did. And she did that. She wasn't being anti-anything. If anything, she was displaying a very dark gospel. This was followed by Redondo Beach, which she often does in concert. Birdland. Birdland is such a striking song. I've seen her perform it many times. It's, I mean, she's talking about a boy and the father dies and the funeral cars. It's, this is jazz. This is Rambo. She often does this on Rambo's birthday. Free Money, come on. Kimberly, which is about her sister. Break It Up, which is about Jim Morrison and Jimi Hendrix dying. And Land. Now, Land, part, well, Land of a Thousand Dances, was her nod to William S. Burroughs' Johnny and the Wild Boys. Because she talks about the character of Johnny one of my professors who is a big Tool fan and a big Patti Smith fan we discussed the sonic layering of Patti Smith's land and the song Horses and she said you know I I remember I was taking a class with her it was a report writing class and I brought my Patti Smith book I figured we'll strike up a conversation during break and after class. And I said, you know, a lot of people compare Patti Smith to Bob Dylan. And without missing a beat, my professor said, she's better than Bob Dylan. Yep. That says a lot. That says a lot to give that to Patti Smith. And she earned it. She earned it. By being herself. By giving us these iconic moments. Now, she doesn't like to be called... This is understandable. I watched her documentary, Dream of Life, and she says, people will say to her, how does it feel to be a rock icon? And she says, whenever I hear that, I think of Mount Rushmore. I'm going to play for you a piece from that documentary where she talks about her good friend, William S. Burroughs. William S. Burroughs was an interesting character. Okay? Now, 
you're probably going to hear underneath, um, I believe the song, um, here we go. Here's a, here's a piece of it. Yet malcontent, so many voices raised and snuffed. My generation's heritage seemed in jeopardy. These things came to my mind. The course of the artist, the course of freedom redefined, the recreation of space, the emergence of new voices, and these things I came to express, albeit somewhat awkwardly through the form of rock and roll. Perhaps I had been nothing but a scrappy pawn, but I am nonetheless grateful for the moves I had come to make, and I salute all of those who helped me make them. So underneath, you're going to hear Gloria. Copyright 1975. But I'm doing this because she talks about William S. Burroughs. There was no real place in New York City for the new guard to experiment. But 1973, Hilly Crystal opened the doors to CBGB, so poets and musicians finally had a room of their own. Hilly was the good shepherd, and William Burroughs was our guardian angel. William. I used to wait for him at the lobby of the Chelsea Hotel, and sometimes after he had some drinks at the El Coyote Bar, and I'd straighten his tie and help him get a taxi. And he could tell I had a really big crush on him, and he used to say, My dear, I'm a homosexual. But that didn't really bother me. I just adored him. When Horses was recorded, I owed no small debt to him, for the hero of land was truly a descendant of Johnny and the Wild Boys. William was highly supportive, and it was an honor to see him sitting at a table close to a stage when we played CBGBs. It was an amplified period of existence, with time bleeding through time, a time when all my friends were alive and driven with the collective hope to raise aspects of art, poetry, and rock and roll that had not been raised before. There were no rules, no sudden material expectations, and William generously gave us a nod, often smiling at the notion that he was the spiritual father of another generation of Johnnies. And that is from the 2008 documentary, Dream of Life, Patti Smith. I have to reference that song in the copyright because I don't want her to come after me. Because I have the utmost respect for Patti Smith as someone who just doesn't back down. It was directed by Stephen Sebring, who had been, they had been making this documentary, was it, I think for 10 years? And it was finally released in 2008. I still have the DVD. I have the digital. It, w- it was amazing. It, w- it received um, an Excellence in Cinematography Award for a documentary at uh, the 2008 Sundance Film Festival. But it really, to get to the heart of Horses... And what that means to people. That album cover though. That album cover. It speaks volumes. 
And there was a singer. I'm trying to remember. Was it KT Tunstall? Who had a song called Suddenly I See. Okay. Now, I say that because I remember listening to the lyrics. And then someone told me that's about horses. Okay. Uh, so I'm not going to sing it for you because it's KT Tunstall. Tunstall. So here's the lyrics. And, uh, and when someone told me she was talking about the album cover for Horses, I thought, oh my. Well, her face is a map of the world is a map of the world. You can see she's a beautiful girl. She's a beautiful girl. And everything around her is a silver pool of light. The people who surround her feel the benefit of it. It makes you calm. She holds you she holds you captivated in her palm. She feels uh, every corn like she's born in black and white. Makes you feel warm when you're trying to remember what you heard. She likes to leave you hanging on a wire. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. That's intense. And to, and to say that about... Yeah, here it is. It was inspired by New York singer and Patty, uh, poet Patti Smith, whose album cover, Horses, also inspired Tunstall's album cover for Eye to This Telescope. So that says something about Patti Smith. Okay? The song itself is a tribute to female power, inspired by... About American musician Patti Smith. As described in the lyrics, Tunstall was inspired to a career in music through looking at a black and white picture of a woman. Admiring her strength and accomplishments, she suddenly realized that she wanted to do what she wanted to do with her life. She explained in an interview that the song was about Robert Maplethorpe's photography of or photograph of Patti Smith on the cover of Horses, commenting on the song's Later use in The Devil Wears Prada. I didn't realize the lyrics could per- uh, perfectly fit a chick flick. It could sound like I was singing about wanting to be an effing model. Yeah. Yeah. But at the heart of that, that's about Patti Smith's horses. This album is, I mean, it's punk rock, but it's Patti Smith. I often tell people that Patti Smith really is her own genre. She does the spoken word. She does the singing. And there's a a newer quality to that. I know, you're thinking, how? It's jazzy. Mm Mm-hmm. Ah, here we go. Fiona Sturgis of The Guardian describes Smith's lyrics and horses as being steeped in an intricate phrasing and imagery that deliberately blurred the lines between punk and poetry. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. But I think we all we all we all want to talk about Gloria and that song and how she opened it. With those lyrics, Jesus died for somebody's sins, but not mine. (sighs) 
Horses influenced a, a bevy of musicians as diverse as Susie Sue of Susie and the Banshees mentioned the album as one of the records that changed her life. Saying in terms of her songs, performance, look, and attitude, she was the nirvana of her day. Vivi Albertine of The Slits stated that the album absolutely and completely changed her life, adding, us girls never stood in front of a mirror posing as if we had a guitar because we had no role models. So when Patti Smith came along, it was huge. She was groundbreakingly different. R.E.M.'s Michael Stipe bought a copy of Horses as a high school student and said that the album tore his limbs off and put them back on in a whole different order, citing Patti Smith as his primary inspiration for becoming a musician. Morrissey and Johnny Marr shared an appreciation for the record as one of the early compositions for the Smiths. The Hand That Rocks the Cradle uses a melody based on that of Kimberly. Courtney Love of Hole recounted that listening to horses as a teenager helped encourage her to pursue a career in rock music. While PJ Harvey commented in 1992, I heard horses once and it was brilliant. Not so much her music as her delivery, her words, her articulation, her honesty. Courtney Barnett said that the album made her rethink her approach to singing and songwriting. I'd always been a really shy and nervous singer because I thought I had to sing in a particular way, in a really pretty girl voice. I didn't have that. It wasn't my natural thing. So when I listened to Patti Smith, it opened the door and made me feel more comfortable in a way I expressed my singing and my ideas. Yeah. I have that, that anniversary edition of Horses, released in 2005, 30th anniversary and so there is a noirish quality when it comes to the imagery, the mystery, the intrigue. There's a lot about Patti Smith we don't know. You put on that record, you look at the album cover, and, and then you later learn, okay, if you've listened to or read Just Kids by Patti Smith, Robert Maplethorpe did the album cover. The fact that she's wearing a man's shirt... She had, as she described, her Keith Richards hair because her hair was unkempt. And how Robert Maplethorpe set that moment and set that mood. And that album itself is one giant iconic mood. It's jazzy. It's rocking. It's beautiful. It's freeform. It's Patti Smith. Horses released November 10th, 1975. And that's tonight's episode. Uh, even music has a new war quality. And there, there was still a mystery and intrigue for me of Patti Smith. And I'm glad, even though we listen to the books and read the books, we don't, there's a lot about her we don't know. And there's a beauty behind that. Unpleasant dreams. <laughs>